0: Hello and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant, and yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Amen and amen. Boy, I'm telling you, isn't it great to have the house full on a Wednesday night? Amen? Yes, it is. If you have your Bible, let's go ahead and make our way to Hebrews chapter number 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Any of you glad to be here? Amen. I saw like five or six smiles tonight. So I said, there's some happy folks. At the same time, you know, I tell you about, as we're continuing to expand, uh, always be gracious about what door you may come in. You never know, right? Sometimes this one's closed. Sometimes those are open. And uh, so thank you for continuing to be a a people who are gracious about that. Remember what I say to you often, and that is that I'm glad we have situations that are a little bit inconvenient, because if not, we tend to think that God's a God of convenience, and He's not. He never declared about himself he's a God of convenience. So it's good for us to have to walk a little further and park a little further. It's good for us to think about others ahead of ourselves, okay? So let the parking be an exercise of grace for you. Is that all right with y'all? Alright, amen. I know y'all ready to get to the Word. We're going to get there. Alright, first question, did you get a copy of our printed outline? If you did not, we got some people ready. Raise your hand, and they'll make their way around. Oh, we got several. A few back there, a few over here in this section over here. They're going to come right from behind you, so just be looking for them. Hold your hand up, and they'll make sure that you get a copy of that, of that outline, okay? You guys continue to like the outlines on Wednesday night? Yeah, yeah. I know you come in a little tired, so... It just helps a little bit on how much you're writing, okay? Uh, but I pray also that you wouldn't get lazy on that and that, uh, that you make sure that you're filling those blanks. There's, there's something to kinesthetic learning, meaning that you're thinking about something the Holy Spirit's processing it, but you're also putting some action to it, okay? And I notice tonight there are a lot of young people in our midst, a lot of children, so, so I always say this to the young people, y'all got to help me. And what I mean by that is you got to watch mom and dad because they have a tendency when they get still after a day of work and it's cool, they have a tendency to doze off So you help me, okay, by checking mom and dad every once in a while. Give them a little elbow, bump will make sure they're awake. And the other thing, because you guys can do two things at once. I also want to ask you to maybe draw a picture based on what you hear, all right? If you're a little older, maybe you'd write down a few things that you hear that really speak to your heart, okay? And uh, we believe young people can do just as great of things as the older folk. Matter of fact, probably their minds are a little sharper, can absorb some more than some of ours. And so tonight, Hebrews chapter 11, okay? <clears throat> now, quick question. Uh, how many of you know that w- what Hebrews chapter 11 is often referred to as? The Hall of Faith, right? The Hall of Faith. And so there is a long list, the writer of Hebrews, and you guys know that Hebrews is one of my favorite books of the Bible because it it talks about the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, and uh, it compares the two and points to the supremacy of Christ, the preeminence of Christ, and the new covenant, the better, the sheer sure covenant, all right? And uh, here in chapter 11, he, he speaks of all of these great men and women who faith moved them to action, okay? And so if you were to take the whole chapter and to, and to narrow it to a theme, the theme would be um, faith uh, produces works, uh, right? You know that. James said, matter of fact, that faith that doesn't have works is in fact, anybody know? Dead, dead faith, so it's not faith at all. So faith is going to produce works. And here's what he's talking about here. There are some that have faith, and because of their faith, they produce things in their life, all right? So what we're going to do is start in verse number 1, and we're going to read down through verse number 7, but really we're going to hang out in just one particular verse, all right, verse number 4. You see that on your outline, verse number 4, okay? So if you would, I'm going to invite you to stand on your feet in honor of reading God's Word, and let's read Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 7. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 7. Oh, let me ask you this quickly. Uh, if you have your phone with you, would you get it out for me really quickly? And it's really important that you do it right now so that, so that you don't have any volume on when we're reading the Word of God. So would you look on your phone and find that volume switch and switch that thing to silent for me? Now, you know what's going to happen if we're reading the Word and your duck call goes off? Everybody in your neighborhood is going to look at you funny, Okay. And so uh, do that for me, alright, help us out, we don't want to be interrupted once we're diving into the preaching of the Word, okay, so switch that off for me, and now let's look together at Hebrews 11, 1 through 7, okay, beginning in verse 1, <clears throat> now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are invisible, Things which are seen, rather, were not made of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, y'all help me, still, still speaks. He's dead, but he still speaks. That's interesting. We'll come back to that. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found, because God had taken him, for before he was taken, he had the testimony of, That he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible. Y'all help me. To please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen. Moved with godly fear. Prepared an ark for the saving of his household. By which he condemned the world. And became heir of the righteousness which is according to. Not works but. Faith, all right, glad you saw that. Let's pause for a brief word of prayer. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Fathers, we've come to this most crucial time of our gathering. Lord, the assignment is too great for any of us. Uh, Lord, the assignment of preaching an infinite word being a finite creature. Lord, I desperately need your help. So tonight, by the power of your Holy Spirit and the gift of preaching, would you give me everything I need to put on display here tonight uh, this word publicly proclaimed, boldly yet full of grace in such a way that the oldest and the youngest among us can get every word and father i pray that as you do that it'd be a testimony not a testimony of terry but a testimony that you're the god who can use anybody anywhere anytime to accomplish your plan so thank you for calling us lord now tune our ears to hear your voice the assignment of receiving the message is impossible too unless you do it So tune our ears to hear your voice. Sit us on the front edge of our seat. God, I know there have been busyness going on, work going on, mental tiredness, physical tiredness. I pray for a touch of the Holy Spirit tonight that we sit on the front edge of our seat like little children at our tables looking in front of our daddy, waiting to hear what daddy has to say. So Lord, would you speak from heaven? We're listening. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And the people of God said, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Wasn't it good when you started out Wednesday night with a baptism? I still ain't quite got that out of my system yet. You know, I'm a little fired up tonight, okay? Hebrews chapter 11, all right? Now, a couple of things I want to talk about. The title of the message is, Living to Leave the Very Best. Living to Leave the Very Best. I know a man who has spent most of his days uh, building up and working toward leaving something behind for his children, for his grandchildren. And he's a a financial advisor. Uh, He's very smart. You know people that are smart with money? You know, basically, it seems as if every decision they make seems to make money, you know. And uh, he's he's very good at that. And so his whole life, he's really focused on... Leaving his family behind, and I was sitting at a table one time, hearing a conversation between him and another man. And the man asked him, said, "Man, what do you what do you think is the most important goal in your now that you're in your 60s, uh, the most important goal in your life now that you're you know in the uh, you're not in the last days of your life, but but you're in the, you're the third fourth quarter anyway." And he said, "What's what's he said that I would leave my children uh, financially secure." That was his goal, right? And you and I would agree tonight that that's not a bad goal, right? Um, but, but I wouldn't, I would also say to you that it's not the very best goal. Now, what I want to say to you is that one day, apart from the Lord Jesus returning in the sky, uh, one day you're going to die. And when you die, when I die, somebody, if there's a funeral that's had, a graveside, a memorial, what have you, uh, somebody's going to get up at a pulpit or a lectern or somewhere beside your casket, and they're going to say, what the, everybody always says, I'm going to say a few words. And nobody ever just says a few words, do they? Especially not your preacher. I never say just a few words. And so, uh, a few words. And so what happens is they begin to think about the person's life. And then they get up in front of their friends and family and they begin to share a little bit about um, this person's life. And in essence, what that life is going to continue to do, you know, or not do um, from now on. I've heard so many times people get to the pulpit or to the lectern or to the graveside and the best friend get up and look at the family and all you can tell they know each other. And that best friend gets up there and begins to talk about how he's a hunter and a fisherman. And he spent all of his days in the woods. And man, he's got a wall full of mounts. And he's got some of the nicest fish you could ever imagine. And he taught his kids how to fish and hunt. And now his kids can hunt and fish, you know, because if we don't, we, we won't survive. Y'all know that, right? Come on now, right? If we don't go hunt, we won't have meat. Well, we always say, got to have meat in the freezer, right? And so uh, that was the spill, the whole totality of his life. And I remember sitting there thinking um, about how, um, if that's all there is to be said, how when that life stops, it no longer speaks. Eh, 6, 8, 10, 15, 20 years down the road. 30 for sure, 50 guaranteed, 100, they won't remember what your hobbies were. Now, on the other hand, and, and by the way, you guys have heard me talk about the practical joke around here. We'll come back to that. The deer head practical joke. We'll come to that again in just a little bit. Okay. So tonight I want you to think for just a minute about faith. Look back to verse number one with me. The author of Hebrews begins to talk about faith and there's some very important things about faith that we need to understand as we dive into tonight's message. And that is faith is the substance of things hoped for. So there's, there's some, there's some substance to what we hope for. And then he, he sort of builds on that when he says the evidence of things not seen. Now, I, wanna, I I tell people all the time, when I'm sitting in one-on-one conversation, they say, man, you're asking me to believe in something uh, that I absolutely can't see, and there's no evidence. I said, no, I'm asking you to put your hope and trust in somebody you can't see, but there's absolute evidence of. And they said, what do you mean? I said, well, uh, you're looking at, if I could just tell you a little of my story, if I could just introduce you to a few guys uh, and, and gals that, that knew me before, uh, when I was living for me, I promise you, they would tell you there's no explanation apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, death and resurrection, uh, and my transformed life. So, you haven't seen him with your eyes, but you have in fact seen, listen, faith, you need to know this, faith is not without evidence. There's evidence, right, for us to put our faith. Now, let me just move on. He goes on to say, now notice something in verse 2. He starts to be, build a general thought that he's going to narrow down to Abel's life. He says, by faith, okay, this faith, is substance of things hoped for, this evidence of things not seen, uh, by that, by faith, the elders obtain. Now, that word obtained means to grab a hold of, uh, to, to bring into possession. Does that make sense? Uh, so you obtain something for yourself. The elders obtained, and what they obtained was, read with me, a... A good testimony. Now, funny thing about me and you: we think a good testimony. Here's what we do: y'all know that we rank testimonies. Y'all know that about us? We rank them. We say, boy, if a person was really on drugs and and if they were homeless and if they killed two or three people, you know. And, 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 if, and then they get born again. Boy, that's the most powerful testimony, hallelujah, that could ever happen. And we do that. And that's the ones we'd rather listen to. And that's the ones that cause us to sit on the front edge of our seat. But let me tell you something. Just as powerful are, are, is the testimony of the person who has said this before. I was on the church roll before I was born. Meaning what? Mom and Dad were in church. They were learning the Word of God. Mom was pregnant with me. I was already at church every time. I, I became part of the church when I was born. I never missed because Mom and Dad had me there. But then at one point in my life, the Holy Spirit showed me my lost condition, and the Word of God worked on my heart and softened it, led me to repentance. I put my hope and trust in the Son of God who died for me and rose again, and I confessed Him as Lord. And I went from death to life. Amen? And that is, uh, yeah, amen. Give the Lord a hand clap right there. Now, we clap our hands there, but what we need to stop doing then, if we're going to clap our hands to that, we've got to stop saying, well, I don't have a powerful testimony like so-and-so does. If you've been born again, you have a powerful testimony, so now, this is not just a salvation type of testimony. Now listen, Do you know you have, you have a testimony of salvation, but did you know that that's not the end of your testimony? Did you know that? How you live your life at home, at work, uh, in the workplace, in your neighborhood? Uh, you are still building a testimony. Your life is still a testimony that's happening. And so by faith, these elders in the past uh they They lived by faith, and so by that they 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 developed and obtained for themselves a good testimony. People talk good about it by the way, testimony is like a witness gives testimony. somebody is testifying about these elders because of the faith they saw in their life now let 's get some practical application okay by the way, in verse number three, he helps us to realize that there is uh and you guys know that i 'm a big bang theory guy, huh. Y'all know some people don't know what I'm talking about. They're going, oh, We went to Hickory Ridge, and the pastor said he's a big bang theory. He had the big bang of God's voice. And when he said, Let there be, bang, there it was. And so science has proven something happened back there, and everything has expanded from there. I know what that something was. It was the loud sound of his voice. Now, as we look at that, it's in verse 3 By faith, we have this huge understanding that God spoke into being galaxies. Okay? Now, that's huge faith, right? You look at the expanses and the stars and the more pictures we're seeing. I'm telling you, it's just more amazing and more amazing. And the more photos they get. And you begin to see how big God is. And then you move on into verse 40. He begins now to get personal. And he starts using some names of some individuals. In verses 4 through 7, he mentions four names, okay? Those four names are two brothers. Y'all help me, who are they? Cain and Abel, and then he mentions two more, one that is uh, sucked away into heaven, maybe that's a good word, by whirlwind, his name is Enoch, and then you have one other mentioned, and it is Noah. Let's talk about, real quickly, the second two. The second two, Enoch, okay, I'm just going to kind of talk about these for a minute, verse five, by, by faith, Enoch was taken away, so he didn't see death, and was not found. One day he's here, one day he's gone. They didn't have a funeral for him, they didn't have a graveside memorial, uh, because he walked with God, he pleased God, God just... Took him home. He just, uh, by faith, the Lord just rescued him and brought him out. And we're reminded in verse 6 that faith is what's necessary to please God. Matter of fact, you can't have a relationship with God without faith. Faith is the access uh, to Jesus Christ. We trust and believe that what he did for us was enough. Uh, Then he goes on to say, in verse 7, he mentions Noah. Now, I want you to think about Noah. And Noah, Y'all, anybody know what Noah did? I love that. When I ask questions like that, you're like, is this a trick question? Because... (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> he did a lot. But the big thing he did is he built a boat, right? The ark. And he did it before there had been rain in such fashion and never before had the crust of the earth broken up and water come from under and water come from over, and yet he's out there for hundred and twenty years building this huge ark. How ridiculous. But the word of God says it was it was faith. That led him to do such. L- listen to what you hear. Alright. Look in verse number 7 with me. And this is just intro by the way. So just hang on. We're going to get to the message. Verse 7. By faith Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen. Never seen anything like that before. But God warned him. So it was required faith. You hear the warning. And most of the time we hear the warning. We don't heed the warning. Because we hadn't seen the consequences yet. Right? Right? And so, come on, y'all know I'm right. Mom and dad said, don't do that. And we said, no, I don't think I'm going to do it anyway, because we've not yet seen that. And what we're not smart enough to know is mom and dad have seen that. That's why they're warning us not to do that. And God had seen what's going to happen. And he said, I'm warning you, build this boat and build this ark. And 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 listen to what it says, by faith. He'd never seen it before. But the word of God says he was moved with godly fear. Now, what was the godly fear? He was afraid of drowning. Without the boat, what's going to happen to Noah? Huh? He's going to drown. Now, now who's going to cause the drowning? Who's causing the rain to fall and and to come up out of the? God. And so his godly fear is that God said, if you don't build the boat, you're going to drown. So he trusted the Lord's warning, and he feared what God said was going to happen, and he adjusted by faith his actions. Oh, I wonder if you and I fit that category. Now, going back, I said that was just a little intro. Let's go now and focus on just a minute on those two brothers. Can we do that? Good, here we go. Verse number four. Take your outline, get it ready. We're talking about leaving the very best behind. And by the way, the very best is not a large inheritance. The very best is not a large tract of land in Rankin County or wherever it is that you reside. The very best is not um, a bunch of literary works that you have or a collection of sewing pens. um, But the very best that you can leave for your family is a kingdom legacy. Now, I want to be careful here because most of my life I've heard men of God preach about leaving a legacy. But what I've learned in this week that I've been studying legacy, legacy is a neutral term. You can leave a bad legacy or you can leave a good legacy. Uh, So legacy in itself doesn't have a positive or negative meaning to it. It just means lasting impact. Did you know that you can leave a negative impact? Let me ask you a question. You know anybody that's lived before that you knew or knew about? And they're no longer here, and their life still has a negative impact on your family and people that you know. I do. I do. I know people who have a legacy, but it's not a kingdom legacy. It's a legacy of alcoholism. It's a legacy of ungodly living. It's a legacy of doing what they wanted to do, when they wanted to do it, how they wanted to do it, and any time they wanted to do it. And their children and grandchildren are still suffering consequences because they gained from their dad, generally speaking, and sometimes their mom. The same way of thinking. And so, listen, you can leave a negative legacy. So, so, first of all, in your outline there, the word legacy is there. Am I correct? Okay, the word legacy. Read the definition with me as I read it out loud, if you would. Uh, legacy is a long-lasting impact of particular events, actions, etc. that took place in the past of a person's life. Okay, they're gone. It's happened in the past, but it has a lasting impact. Remember, it can be negative or it can be positive, Okay. Now, let's talk for a minute why I I said kingdom impact, okay? Now, remember the word kingdom is a two-part word, king and dom. Dom being short, D-O-M, short for dominion. So, think about king, dominion. Now, what does it mean? Look at the definition. It is any place where the king, notice it's capitalized because I'm talking about the high king of heaven, where the king has dominion. In other words, it's where God rules. So, many people think that the kingdom is heaven. It's up there. Uh, But the kingdom of God is also in the heart of every born-again believer. Why? Because that's where the king has... Oh, y'all have put it together. It's where the king has to be. It's why I'm part of the kingdom of God. And I'm going to the kingdom of heaven. Anybody tracking with me? All right, so moving right along. We've got those two terms identified. Now you look at the main idea. Write this in your notes. uh, The main idea of these passages, all right, verse 4 through 7, and particularly verse 4, is that a life of faith leaves a kingdom legacy. Now, that's a very simple truth, but just write it down and we're going to flesh it out, okay? A life of faith leaves a kingdom legacy. Now, how many of you, like me, have still had Sunday's messages dealing with you since Sunday? Anybody raise your hand if it's still dealing with you according? to <laughs> My goodness. And uh, it reminded me that, uh, well, some truths I'm going to share with you tonight, I pray are going to bless you in such a way. And so, a life of faith, y'all help me, what does it do? Leaves a kingdom legacy. And so, number one in your notes, write this down. This is verse number four. Faith, we talked about it already, is practiced. It's practiced. Now, I don't mean practiced like trying, but I'm saying practiced as in it's an activity of your life. It's not a thought. It's not a pattern of thought. But, in fact, it's a pattern of thought that leads to a pattern of action. Okay? So, faith is practiced. Where do I find that in verse four? Abel did something. Abel did something strictly because of faith. What did Abel do? Somebody help me. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. So in your notes, faith is practiced, okay? Now, let me give you some evidence of the fact that we put our faith in some strange things. Matter of fact, that when I was teaching in our staff time, our, you know, I say our, my staff, our staff is our, my small group time, and so our staff means you ever want to drop in on us on Tuesdays, we do about an hour of Bible study before we get to anything else. And one of the things I said to our staff and what we all talked about was the fact that we trust some stupid things. Have you thought about that? For instance, and I'm not talking about the person being stupid. Don't don't think I'm calling people stupid. But look, this week I'm riding down the road and as I'm riding down the road I approach the top of a hill. Top of the hill there's a garbage truck. On the back of the garbage truck there's a guy picking up the garbage. I'm sort of in a rush. Can you believe that? And I'm behind that thing, and I pull up, and I'm like, oh, man, I can't see around it, so I'm just sitting there. And the guy takes a little peek over his shoulder, and he waves me on. And guess what I do? Wham, hammer the gas, man. And I have no idea who he is. I have no idea his vision. I don't know what his, how far he could see up the hill or down the hill, but guess what I did? I practiced, man. I put faith in that guy, and I came on home. You with me? Now, uh, thanks be to God, I'm standing here, and you know then that obviously it worked out well. But just as easily, it could not have. I want you to think about the times that you've, you've flown. I've never gone into the cockpit and said, Sir, I need to see your credentials. I want to know who your flight instructor was, how many hours you've had. I need to hear about your relationship with your wife or your husband. Can you tell me about if you believe in Jesus? Will you tell me about if you, how much sleep did you get last night? Do you ever partake in alcohol? or you on any kind of prescribed medication? I never do that. You know what I do? I hurry up and find my seat. Hurry up and stuff my bag in that overhead. And, Brother Keith, you know what I'm talking about? I'm watching my clock. i got to get somewhere. And I never even tr- I think about the people I put my faith in. I just blindly jump in there and say, let's go. I heard the other day there's a certain airplane weighs 500 million pounds. you imagine that? 30,000 feet above the earth? That don't make any sense. I'm trusting two people in there with all them instruments just to... Pick me up from one place, put me down in another. We, I'm telling you, we put our faith in some stupid... I'm telling you. Wait, wait, wait. Strange things. That's the word I picked, right? That sounds a little better. Strange things. <clears throat> Here's some other ones. Now, if I know we got some people in the medical profession. Don't get all offended. Just go with me. Okay? All right. So sometimes we trust in our, our medical profession, and we fail to realize that they're practicing medicine. Okay? And so sometimes the doctors will tell you things and do things, and I'm not saying, listen, I'm just telling you, sometimes they say, well, I I do know some doctors personally, not in this area, who have prescribed things that didn't need to be prescribed because there were certain kickbacks for those prescriptions. Now, listen, I'm not trying to erode your faith in the medical field. Heavens, no. I'm just telling you, we probably ought to get to know the doctor that we're trusting our health care to. Anybody out there? Don't we, put our, don't we put our faith in some, we have, strange man, we're just like, yeah, give me whatever. And when the, we, don't, we don't check the pharmacy, we don't know what they're putting in there, we pop the top off that thing, if it says take it three times a day, we take it three times a day, we'll know what it is we're putting in there, what it does to us. I'm telling you, we trust in some very strange things, <clears throat> ironically, we struggle with putting our trust in the one who did not spare his only son to purchase our redemption, that's a sad and ridiculous thing in my life. And I might even turn the mirror and say it could be sometimes in your life. So tonight, we know that faith is practice. Now, uh, by faith, the practice of Abel's life, he offered. Okay, now we're going to get to what he offered in just a minute. Now, on your, on your outline there, you've got a list Two lists. Do you see that? This is yes. All right, okay, so take your list. And I want you to take a minute. And I want you to fill in a list of the things that you do based solely on faith. Things that you do based solely solely on faith. In other words, the only reason you do them is you believe Jesus Christ died for you and rose again. That's the only reason you do them, okay? Take just a minute. I just made a short list, okay, because we don't have a lot of time, but take just a minute, write those things. These are the things that you do just because you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He died for your sins and He rose again, and He's living in you, okay? He's living in you. Take just a minute, write those down. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you a few of mine. That'd be okay, good, here I go. Uh, one, uh, Bible study. Uh, it'd be, it would be ridiculous for me to sit down at my kitchen table every single morning at 6 a.m. with a book. If it was just a book, if I had no faith, if it was just a book, it would be ridiculous for me to sit down with that book and read portions of that book, meditate on portions of that book, if I didn't believe that the Word of God has the power to transform my life. You with me? So I study the Bible simply because I have faith in Jesus. You starting to see what I'm talking about now? Some others might be prayer. Wouldn't prayer be ridiculous if you didn't have faith? Matter of factly, I know some unbelievers who have said to others of faith before, hey man, what are you doing? Who are you talking to? Why Why are you over there talking to the air? But by faith, I pray and I believe that as I'm talking, that that God is listening to me. How about that? Uh, that 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 God is taking time to hear what's on my heart, and He cares. And when I sit in silence, I believe He's speaking to me through His Word. And so, all of those things are by faith. How about how about giving? Wouldn't you believe that giving toward the kingdom is 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 by faith? It would be absurd for me to take money that I earn and make and give to something, a group of people, and people that are sharing this message of Jesus if I didn't believe it, right? And so giving is an act of faith. Now we could go on and on. Now I want to go over to the other category, and I want you to take just a second and think about things I avoid because of faith. And as we were talking about this in the staff meeting, well, Ryan, was, uh, Ryan said, uh, there's probably more things that I don't. He said, can we make a list of things we don't do because of faith? And I said, that's good, man, yeah. Because really, if you think about it, there's probably a longer list of things that you don't do because of faith because the things that you do because of faith feed in and change what you want to do, right? For instance, um, here's one I wrote down in my, note, in my notes. Uh, by the way, y'all ever have some like really frustrating days? I have one of those today. Everywhere I went, sent me to another place. Uh, One of my assignments today after several hospital visits was trying to get a battery in my phone, put in my phone. And I'm just going to tell you something, if you ever attempt to do that, you better pray up (laughs) and fast for a little bit, you know, and Take a few brothers with you or sisters with you, you know. And I went one place, they sent me to that place. I went to that place, sent me to this place. Every time I got there, oh, we don't have those batteries. You got to go over there. And I, I'm telling you, and, and people were rude, and it was, I'm telling you, it was unbelievable. And so, one thing that I wrote on my list, the things I avoid now because of faith, is punching people in the throat. Now, some of y'all ain't laughing because you know I used to do that. But by faith, I don't do that anymore. Okay? Now, uh, how, about, how about a few other things I wrote in my own life? I don't get drunk anymore. By faith. It's the Holy Spirit showed me that's not what His children are for and led me away from it. By faith, all right? By faith, I don't passively sit back and let the world lead my family. No, it's faith. It's faith that says, Terry, you got to get up. You've got to pray up. You've got to lead. You've got to give them an example to follow. By faith. By faith. I I don't let the world lead my family. I'm not passive about that. Um, I'm something else I don't do. I don't have other women that I give attention to like I give Miss Tina Fant by faith. God says it's one woman for me the rest of my life. And I'm so thankful for her by faith. You see, so, so you see the list of things that you don't do because of faith, right? And the list of things that you do because of faith. And I don't know, maybe you're looking at your list and you're realizing there's not a whole lot in your life that you do by faith. And there's not a whole lot that you avoid by faith. In other words, you just sort of kind of do what you want to do. And and faith has not really changed your life much. And right now, you ought to really be considering if the faith you have has produced any works that would evidence the fact that you've truly been born again. It's a good thing to think about. Your soul is pretty important. Eternity is a pretty long time. So you ought to give that a little consideration. Number two in your outline, okay? So number one was faith is, y'all help me. Practiced, it's practiced, it is, you, you, there, action, is action to it, alright? Number two, uh, faith offers God the very best. Now these things, these principles, these truths are building towards a life of faith, okay? A life of faith leaves a kingdom legacy. So my life, when I have a life of faith, people are gonna be able to see actions and, and inactions, things I don't do, simply because of faith, okay? Number two, faith offers God the very best. Now again. Here's my question. That's me and you just kind of talking. Is this observable. To others. Other than God. What am I talking about? Giving God the very best. Let me, let me make it a little simple. Because y'all are overthinking this thing. If I'm giving God the very best. Are you going to be able to tell? Yeah. Yes you are. You're going to say. He doesn't give him leftovers. He doesn't just kind of. Uh, clock in and clock out. Uh, He doesn't just, you know, he's not one guy in the pulpit and one guy somewhere. You see what I'm talking about? You're going to be able to see whether or not somebody else, remember we're talking about a life of legacy, excuse me, a life of faith leaves a legacy, okay, a kingdom legacy. So faith offers the very best. In verse four, faith, uh, by faith, Abel offered, he acted, he practiced uh, to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Y'all remember what happened? Um, Abel brought that first lamb, that, 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 spotless lamb as a sacrifice unto God and his brother Cain brought remember some it said the scripture literally says of the fruit I mean of the fruit and vegetables of the ground so it's just some leftover vegetables he he handed over to God and the and the Bible says that it was faith that was the difference between the two it was faith that motivated able to not give God some leftover something but it was faith that motivated able to give God the absolute best he had now, i got a question for you that I, I wrestle with in my own life, and that is, has, is faith motivating you to give God your best? And if not, here's a good thing, what changes might need to be made? By faith, I'm offering to God the very best, okay? Number three, look how fast we're moving. Number three, write this in your notes, faith produces, oh, I love these two, last 2 we're going to knock your socks off. Number three, listen, faith produces witnesses. It produces witnesses. Now so far we said that faith acted in the offering. That's observable. Faith acted in the excellence of the offering. That's observable. People can see it. And so when people see the action of the faith and the excellent action of the faith, it makes people formulate an opinion about you. But let me take it a step step higher and formulate an opinion about the God whose name is on you. So, you're, you don't know it, but you're making witnesses. Do you know that what you did today made witnesses? There's a high probability somebody somewhere right now, either yesterday, today, or tomorrow in a three-day window, is talking about you. Now, I love to say that because people are like, what are they saying? You know, y'all get that look on your face like, y'all get that look on your face like, I need to get me out of their mouth. Don't be talking about me. And uh, what I mean is, listen, I don't know why you always had to think negative. They may be saying, you know, that Johnny is a, a faithful servant. I saw him, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. They might say, you know, I saw Vince, and, 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 and I saw Vince. That Vince, man, I went to church Sunday, and I saw him praying with somebody in the aisle. That guy's a prayer warrior. He developed a witness. Now, remember, a witness testifies, then you said, no, there are witnesses I see on law and order. Get on there and plead the fifth. Huh? Listen to me. But a witness is of no value without a testimony. When they plead the fifth, they dismiss them. They're not a witness in the case. But a witness, their value is found in their testimony. So you are, your life is creating witnesses. They're talking about you. They're saying things about you. They're watching you. Man, did you see how so-and-so just see him come in church? Boy, did you hear how he talked to his wife out in the parking lot? And you developed a witness. And did you see, man, at work yesterday, did you see how when that thing broke and, and when that, that proposal uh, we didn't get that bid, did you see how Bob handled that? You're making witnesses. They're testifying. And please keep in mind that when they're testifying about you, and and when I say you, I'm talking about those in here who have been born again. Now, I can't look at you in the face and tell you which ones of you are and which ones of you aren't. Matter of fact, I preached a message not too long ago about the wheat and the tares. They look exactly the same until harvest time. But if you have been born again, you ought to really consider the fact that how they think about you is how they think about your Savior. And that's something you and I need to think about because we're image bearers of God and we're name bearers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And wherever we go, he goes. And our testimony becomes his testimony. And sadly, sadly, sometimes we give a very poor testimony of who Jesus is, don't we, in our life? And so now, listen to what he says. Faith, uh, By faith, um, uh, faith produces witnesses, all right? <clears throat> now, the word for witness here is interesting. It's the Greek word martyreo. And it is the root word where you get the word martyr. Do Anybody know what a martyr is? What's a martyr? Somebody help me. Somebody who dies because of their faith in the Lord Jesus. Now, look at the definition. Did I give you the definition of that word? Boy, I'm giving y'all, I'm, y'all, that's, I'm helping y'all way too. Y'all are getting spoiled on Wednesday nights. All right, be or become. What does it mean? To be or become affirmed favorably by first-hand authentication. Do you get it? Kind of wordy. To be or become affirmed. I mean, somebody says yes. That, they stamp the yes on what's said. Favorably, not negatively, favorably. By first-hand authentication. Okay, so somebody might come, I'm going to use Brother Keith because he's here tonight. Somebody might come to me and say, you know, Brother Keith ought to have some kids. He don't have any kids. Him and Miss Nicole need to have some kids. And I, firsthand authentication, I say, you're wrong. They got 11 of them. They, don't, they got plenty of kids, right? Do you see what I'm talking about? Firsthand. I've seen. I've heard. I'm, I can favorably authenticate what is said. Does that make sense to you? So Abel... He obtained, means that that, that his lifestyle gained for himself, that's what the word obtained means, favorable authentication. People could say Abel was the real deal. Abel really trusted God. Abel really was a man who loved God. Because they affirmed it, because they saw it in his life. Now today I was thinking, I'm trying to make the connection, and I didn't study and trace where uh, martyr comes in, but here's what made sense to me today as I was praying through that. The word martyr is also, when somebody is martyred, what greater authentication of their faith could there ever be? Can you see it, John Mickle? Gun to your head, sword to your throat, all you gotta do is renounce Christ. Jesus is Lord, they cut your throat or they shoot you. First hand affirmed favorably. His faith was really in Jesus, right? What greater affirmation is there than for somebody to die for their faith in Jesus? So you see the connection there? So Abel obtained this testimony, these witness. Because of how he lived his life. Listen to me. You are obtaining witnesses by how you live your life. Now, listen. Here's something you need to know. I think I wrote it in your notes. Did I write in your notes that people will lie about you? Yes, they will. And they'll lie about you. And the top three reasons that people will lie about you uh, are, percentage-wise, are they are jealous. jealous of you. Anybody ever lied about you, they were jealous of you? Uh-huh. Uh, how about the second one? They'll lie about you because they won't. Anybody ever got you back by telling a lie on you? Uh-huh. And the third one, most common. Huh? Now, some of y'all look looking so, I love that look right there. I love to get you thinking. Right now, you're like, now this crazy sucker is talking about people love me, lie about me. Yeah. The number one person who will lie about you more than anybody else on planet Earth is your mama. She'll say, listen, she'll say you're the fastest shortstop ever played the game. Nobody ever was as pretty as you, nobody could spell as good as you, nobody could read as good as you, nobody could, now listen, you understand they're not lying about you, but it's not the absolute most accurate factual truth. Y'all tracking with me? But, but now we're going to talk about the witness that Abel obtained. Okay, was it his mama? Hmm. Who was the witness that he obtained? Now remember, a witness is by definition one who testifies, now, you're doing the expo- exposition tonight. Read a little further. There's a, the name of his witness is explained in the verse. God became the witness of Abel's life. Now, you say, what's the big deal of that preacher? Because God can't lie. In him, there is no shadow of turning. He can't fudge the truth. He can't stretch the size of the bass that you caught. He's absolute plumb line truth. And what he testified, read with me, because of Abel's faith practiced in his life, listen to what it says, God testifying of his gifts, meaning what? God said his gifts prove that he loved me and trusted me, gave me the best. Now listen to me. I want you to think for just a minute about when God testified of a man named Job. Do you all remember that? Job chapter 1. Did I put that verse on your notes? Man, you all don't even got to turn anywhere in your Bible. Job 1 verse 8. God speaking to Satan. Interesting conversation. God says to him, starting the conversation, God institutes it with Satan. He says, have you considered my servant Job? Listen. That there is, y'all help me, none like him on the earth. And he described him. Here's God's testimony. He testified of Abel and his gifts. He's testifying of Job. What did he say about Job? What's his testimony? One who fears God. And shuns evil. He's a man whose faith is practiced in his life. You can see it. God said that. Now, Satan, because, and I need to take just a minute remind you that he's not godlike. He's not omnipotent. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. I want you to understand, too often we give him the credit due only to the one true God. What do you mean? Well, he's not smart enough to take God at his word. When God testifies, you ought to just walk off and believe it. But he didn't. He tested it. Because he doesn't know the end result. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So the first portion of Job, well, it's a difficult, difficult, difficult struggle. Would you agree? Loses all of his possessions, animals, servants, and the most valued treasure he loses are his ten children. In the midst of all of that, he does weep, puts on sackcloth and ashes, but all the while he says the Lord gives... The Lord takes away. There's a large section of the book where his friends come seven, eight days, silence, just stare at him. That's a weird scene. And then they go into telling him it's his fault. And that's even, what a blessing. And then Job begins to struggle, right? Um, And God has to have some conversation with him, you know, take him out, show him the stars and the mountains, remind him that he's God and Job's not. And in the end, the enemy thought to steal, kill, and destroy. In the end, Job receives double everything that he had. Why? Why? Because God's testimony about Job was true from the beginning. What the enemy doesn't know about you is what God says about you is true. He can test it. He can put trial in your life and difficulty and struggle. But still what God declares about you is absolutely true. Now, I want us to think about that two ways before we move on. The question I pose there in your notes and in my notes as well is this. What does God say about me? Now, there's two different areas I want you to think about. First of all, if you've been born again, what he says about you is that you're his. You're his child. But there's also a testimony of what God might say based on the activity of our faith. Or, might I say, the inactivity of our faith. Could it be that God would look down at my, my life on certain times and say, Terry's unfaithful? And when I ponder that, I tell you it just hurts to think about how faithful he's been to me. Would he say, would his testimony of me be, uh, you know, uh, Susie is lazy. She she's she doesn't serve me with energy and effort. What is it that God would say about you? And I mean based on your daily activity, you know, what would God say about you? You know, old old Jill, she's a slanderer. She just talks about people at work and gossips. And what would God say about you? What would he say about you? That's a good question, isn't it? Because you're Gaining a witness by how you live your faith. Wow. That's pretty profound, isn't it? Hallelujah. This is yes, by the way. Y'all just want to stare at me. It looks like a repeat of Sunday morning. That steel frame. Okay, I know it's a lot to process, but man, what a, what a beautiful thing. Now, that's not something for us to look at the carpet about, look down, trying and beat down. It's something for us to say, hallelujah, I get to live my life by faith, by the power of the Holy Spirit, fed by the Word of God, supported by the church of God. I can live that thing and live in such a way that I can gain witnesses that will testify the evidence of Jesus Christ in me. And the hope would be they would want to know Him too. And if they know Him, they want to draw back near to Him in case they've wandered. And that's beautiful potential that every day of your life holds. When you and I wake up each morning, the day holds the potential of us making witnesses. Now, let me sort of, if I could, draw this thing to a conclusion. Finally, number four. Number four. Still in verse number four. Can I believe we looked at just verse number four in this whole outline? We said number one, faith is, y'all help me, don't get lazy, practiced. Number two, faith offers God the very best. Those two things are observable. Write that somewhere. They're observable. Those are the things that that form witnesses. They're able to see it, okay? Thirdly, faith produces witnesses. And then number four, faith leaves a kingdom legacy. Let me conclude, if I could, in verse number four. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, and through which he obtained a witness. Who was that witness? That he was righteous? God. God testified of his gifts. And through it, through God's testimony, through, through God's testimony that we are studying tonight, through that, he, Abel, being dead, y'all help me, still speaks. His faith produced witnesses that impacted generations. Have you ever given much thought as to the way your faith is going to shape the generations that come after you? How you practice it, how you walk it out, how you live it. Now, I'm not talking about on Sundays and Wednesday nights. That's wonderful, and that'll be one small part of the equation. But I'm talking about who you are behind closed doors. Now, let me just give a quick testimony, if I could. All right, listen up with me in just a second. Some of y'all tucking in. Don't tuck in yet. Hang on. Boy, I hear a lot of tucking in going on. I'm going to just hang on. I'll wait on you. Take your time. Okay. Not too long ago, I went to the funeral. It's been, I'll just say... Well, I'm just going to say several years. We'll put it like that. Went to the funeral of a man who I believed with all of my heart was a very godly man. If you would have, if I'd have had the opportunity to speak at his funeral, I would have been in the pulpit talking about what a man of God he was and how powerful his testimony was and, and all of those things, as did several men at his homegoing celebration. And there were a lot of people there. And all I heard about in the—not here, it wasn't here—in the in the in the foyer, out in the parking lot, all I heard was people testifying of this wonderful life, right? Well, several years after that, his spouse came and found me, and as we sat down and began to talk, uh, she was riddled with grief, and I was a little surprised because you know several years had passed and. I know we all grieve at different rates and, and, and those types of things. But I mean, she was really, really grieving. And so in my heart, I just began to say, you know, Lord, help her. I know she's missing him, you know, because we think we can read everything. And she said, I just need to unload something on you. And I hope it's not too much for you to bear because I know you loved him. And I thought, uh-oh. And she went on to say, I just need you to know that one of the most difficult things I've ever been through in my life was to go to my husband's funeral and hear all those testimonies. Knowing about these three women that he had over the years that he dated, that he that he spent time with, that he... And I, I'm telling you, she said that to me. I just began to weep with her, you know. Couldn't think of anything else to do. And she said, my kids don't know. Grandkids don't know. She said, there was a season in my life where I hated God because of Him. She said, it wasn't until years later that I figured out you really could have an authentic walk with Jesus. Now, I remember thinking to myself nothing in my life would be more painful than for Tina to give that testimony about me. You see as I think about the end of my life whenever that'll be could be tomorrow. I pray that whatever men of God get up and speak, whoever gets up and shares if they do, they may not, but if they do, I pray that any good thing they could say about me, that Jesus has produced in me, that my wife could amen it, and my children could nod their heads. And know that Jesus Christ was real because of the difference they saw in their daddy. Not just here, but behind closed doors. Listen to me real quickly. Who you are behind closed doors, that's who you really are. And you're producing a witness. And your life is leaving a legacy. It's going to be positive. It's going to be negative. If you live it by faith, it's going to be a kingdom legacy. And oh, what a legacy that will be for your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids. And I don't know how long Jesus is going to tarry. But as long as he hesitates coming back, your life has the potential to have kingdom legacy. Put your eyes back on that verse. He said, even though he's dead, his life still speaks. One last illustration that I'm going to close. I told you we were going to revisit that little practical joke that happens here at Hickory Ridge. Every year, you may not know this, but different small groups have this this dirty Santa gift. Now, how many of you are familiar with that game where you pick numbers and you go up and, you know, you have gag gift, funny gifts, and you have gifts that are, you know, worth a little value, and you have a number, and you may get a funny gift or you may get a good gift. Well, every year, there's this one particular gift, and when you get it, friend, I'm telling you, they're going to take pictures of you, and your face is going to be red, and what happens is you pick the top off of it, and you unwrap, because you never know whether you get a big one or a small one. Sometimes they wrap little things in huge boxes. I'm telling you, they, people around here are crafty. And you open this thing up, and you pull it out, and it's, a, it's, a, it's an eight-point buck. And it's probably mounted, I'm going to guess, about, I don't know, 40 years, 30, 40 years ago. And this eight-point buck uh, has got red heart tinsel wrapped through his horns and around his... He's got a red, red star sticker stuck on his nose. And lights. I don't know how they have a battery in them, because, boy, they lasted for... So, two years ago, I got the blessing of opening that thing up. I thought it was funny and brought it home. Had it in my shop, and every time I went to the shop, it was in the way. Whatever I was doing was in the way. And at least three times during the year, I'd tell Tina, "I'm throwing this stupid thing away." She said, "You can't do that. They'll be mad at you." I don't care if they get mad at me. And I say, "No, I'm not." I'm, and I'd put it back down, you know. And that thing caused me all kinds of trouble. In December rolled around. I remembered, hey, we're going to a small group gathering, and they're playing Dirty Santa. We wrapped that thing up, you remember, and I said, hallelujah, some other joker is about to have to wrestle around this thing. Listen, it's yellow, the lip's coming undone, one of the eyeballs is hanging out, you know. And one day I was thinking about that, and yes, somebody else did get it, thanks be to God. <clears throat> but one day I was thinking about that, some, some man or some lady, most likely I don't know the story, planted plots, structured their life around chasing this animal. You know, it was the goal of their year. They couldn't wait to hunt season. It was all about hunting season. Maybe their grandkids, the only memory they've got was granddaddy was a good hunter. Don't know anything about the Bible, never prayed with them, never read a verse, never. But boy, he could hunt those deer. And now the treasure of his life has become a gag gift. Passed around among people, had dirty Santa gatherings. I don't know about you, but I pray that what Christ has invested in me Leave a different legacy. I pray that what he's invested in me would produce a kingdom legacy. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? Will you do that? I want you just to consider that for a minute. If your time was up, if today was it, if this was the last day in the measurement of your days, what would be said about you? What would they say? When someone came and gave a few words, that's what we say, they came to share a few words about you. And they talk about the things you love to do, the things you put your money in, the things you put your time in, the things that you put your, you know, all of your focus in, things you talk about all the time. Things that you teach your children, things that you teach your friends, things that you learn from your friends, things that you're always researching, things that you're investing your time, talent, and treasure in. What would they get up and say about you? Is it a kingdom legacy? and if they get up and gave a kingdom legacy man he shares his faith he tells people about Jesus he disciples he leads his family first she follows and helps her husband encourages and cheers him on they make a wonderful team not perfect but boy they walking with Jesus if they said that about you would your wife be able to amen it? if they said that about you man would your husband be able to say yeah that's her she was that lady at home too. Young people, would they say that about you at school? Would they say, would they say, would the people in your class say amen to that? Yes. They were a young man who loved God. He, if night, if not, hoping that we have tomorrow. What if we started living a different way? What if we woke up tomorrow considering the fact that one day we won't be here? And we're making witnesses. And the witnesses. Are testifying of us, but really they're testifying of Christ in us, the hope of glory. What if we began really thinking about what we say and asking the Holy Spirit to hold our tongue, give us gentleness and kindness? What if, what if we, what if instead of being so greedy and just focused on our way, what if we really started being generous with our lifestyle, generous with our giving, generous with our time? What if instead of teaching our kids just how to throw a curveball and kick a soccer ball, what if we began teaching them the books of the Bible? And how to navigate their way through the Word of God. And how to, how to pray. How to, how, to treat a, how to teach our young sons how to treat, treat a woman as a way that honors God. What if we began to really live a life of faith that leaves a kingdom legacy? Hallelujah, it'll change generations. It'll change generations. Now, if you're here tonight you've never been born again, can I tell you there's no better time than tonight? Yesterday passed. Tomorrow not promised you have right now just like Zach yesterday you have right now and if you would believe that Jesus the son of God left the throne of heaven came down to this earth born of a virgin rejected ridiculed mocked beaten crucified buried and resurrected if you'd believe that in such a way that you'd step off the throne of your heart that's repentance and invite Jesus to be the authority the Lord of your life he'll save you he'll forgive your sin can set you free. So I want to say that the altar's open. Maybe there's a brother or sister that may come pray for lost souls. Maybe there's a brother or sister in the house that may come for, come pray for married folk. I don't know. Maybe there's a single person in the house that come down the altar and just pray for the rest of the single folks in the room and in the gathering. Maybe you just feel led of God to get out of your chair and come on down here. There's three or four, there's five. Come on, there's others in here just need to come down and just begin to petition the Lord. Maybe just you need to meet with him. I don't know. Maybe you just spend some time there, you and Him. Maybe a husband and wife need to come together. Lord help us live a life of faith that leaves a kingdom legacy. Oh, before it's too late. Hey, aren't you thankful for his grace in the past? By the way, today is the past now. Hallelujah. So Lord, would you do a work in our hearts tonight? As we spend a little time at the altar. Hey, well, y'all, would you guys stand with me if you if you if you can? If you just don't want to don't do that, but if you can, there are a lot of people still trying to get out of their out of their row and come down this altar. It's filling up with folk tonight, and that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing when people are just willing to move and act and respond to what the Spirit's drawing. So Father, take this time now and as we pray, would you hear our cry? And Lord, would you do tonight what only you can. We're going to take just a minute and let folk pray. You know they're sitting on the schedule, we're just going to sit here and let them pray. And I believe there may be some others out there that just need to come out. The Holy Spirit's telling you, go to that altar. And right now you're resisting. And I beg you, why would you resist God? Why would you resist him? You say, I've never walked to an altar before. That's all right. Anybody up here going to touch you or bite you or anything like that? Just as the spirit gives you utterance, as he touches your heart, as he moves you, you come on down. We're just going to sit here in his presence for a minute. Oh, what a beautiful sight when they're double rowed at the altar. You know it? Come on. I believe there's some others of you need to come on down middle of the week God's saying to you I want to change your legacy I want to change what your family knows about you hey listen I know we can feel regret and shame for how they may think about us now but it's not over it's not over God can change that reputation change that testimony talk to him tonight I want to say that brother Gerald's over here to my right if you need somebody to pray with you just make your way down over here Brother Jimmy's over here as well. If you just need somebody to pray for you. Just come get it. Come, come to them. They'll pray for you. I'm so thankful for the Spirit's movement in our lives. Please don't reject Him tonight. Father, help me live a legacy, a kingdom legacy. Help me point my wife, my children, my grandchildren, everybody who knows me. Help me point them to Jesus. He's our only hope.